Well, again, it is our privilege to have Pastor Tom Smith in the church house with us today. And uh, why don't you welcome him to the pulpit by saying amen. We'll get this thing started right. Amen. What a blessing. It's good to be here. It's good to be back with Pastor Bujack. He was serving with us. We've served together, as he said, for seven or eight years. It was during that time that I taught him how to sing. <laughs> I love to hear him sing, and I know you do as well. I, I rejoiced when I heard that the church here had called uh, Brother Boo Jack to come and be the next pastor. I was telling the folks in Sunday school, I knew Brother Turner, no Brother Turner well, and he and I conversed back and forth some during that time that we were actually planning and praying about uh, transitioning out of pastoring and um, and so it's a big decision. My wife and I pray even now for a number of churches that are going through that same transition. But I was excited to hear that the Boojacks were coming to the promised land. <laughs> I was raised not far from here, actually in the Dallas area and east of Dallas. So I have, um, you know, you can take a man out of Texas, but you, it's hard to take Texas out of a man, right? <laughs> <laughs> so it's good to be here. I'm excited. Glad, I was honored to be here and, and uh, for the opportunity to preach today. We're going to be in Psalm 139. Uh, lest I forget about it, um, Brother Bujak asked me to bring some of our devotional materials and some other materials, literature that we've produced, and they're on the back table. My wife will be back there uh, after the Service, if you'd be interested in purchasing some of that, I tell folks that we have this arrangement. I write stuff, and she gets the money. So she likes it. It works out pretty good. <laughs> but um, just a quick story. I, many years ago, uh, when I was pastoring there in St. Clair, uh, we had a group of young people coming to church that were new converts. And... Uh, you know, they didn't know anything about really how to have family devotions or how to have a family altar, how to take a Bible and explain to their um, family. And so I, we're getting a little bit of feedback up here. I don't know if you can hear it or not. but um, So we, that's better. So we, um, I started writing, I wrote 30 days of devotions, put it in a little booklet and said, take these do some other things, but read this every day to your family and, and see if it helps you, you know. And it's very, takes a Bible principle, explains it, and then how can you apply this in your life? And it went really well. People liked it. And so I said, well, I'll do it a second month. So I did it another month, and we did it another month. And long story short, we did that for, for two years. We kept writing these devotions and pr printing them up and giving them an I never thought about putting it into a book. But then after that was all done, then uh, the Lord gave us that leadership, I believe, to put them into booklet form. And so each book, there's a blue book and a brown book, and each book has 365 devotions, one for every day of the year. And uh, by the, the grace of God, you know, the Lord's used that. And it's really an honor for me to see it. Frequently, I'll be in someone's home, maybe a pastor, maybe somebody in another church I'm visiting, and I'll see it there 
on their table. And we're just honored that God will let us do that. And so they're back there, and some other things are back there if you'd be interested. So anyway, thank you for the invite to be here. Thank you, Brother Bujack, for your friendship. And we maintain a close friendship, and uh, I'm very grateful to God for that. Psalm 139 is where we're going to be today. Psalm 139. You'll recognize this, I'm sure. It's a, a psalm of David. And we're going to focus on really what I believe is the primary theme of this psalm. And then we're going to make application to our lives. And so if you're able to stand, would you stand with us, please, for the reading of the Word of God? And I just want to read a couple of passages now, and then we'll read the majority or all of the psalm in a moment. Psalm 139, verse 1. Think about these words. O Lord... Thou hast searched me and known me. O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Then in verse 23, David writes, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting? That's a, that's really, that's a really a probing question. Search me and not just know what I say, what I do. Search me and know my heart. Why I do what I do. The inner me. Only God can do that. Search me and know my heart. And then try me and know my thoughts. Only God knows what we're thinking. And so I just want to use that as a title today, and we're going to look at this passage together. Search me, O God. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word today. We marvel at your grace. Were it not for grace, Lord, we know where we'd be. Going down this endless road to nowhere. God, we thank you for your grace today. We ask you to bless as we study your word. Open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things out of thy law. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. The primary theme of this psalm, as I'm sure you know, is really it's a declaration of God's omniscience. That's the word we use, omniscience, which means basically God knows everything. And the And this is a repeated theme. If you look with me, and I hope you'll keep your Bible open there to Psalm 139. In verse 1, he says, Thou hast searched me and known me. In verse 2, Thou knowest my down sittings and uprisings. Thou understandest my thought afar off. In verse 3, You're acquainted with all my ways. Verse 4, Thou knowest it. Altogether, Verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful. You see this repetitive word, knowledge and understanding, and you're aware of God knows everything. God knows everything there is to know about everything there is and everyone that exists. This is, and this is really an important, we would call it a theological reality. This is an important thing to understand that God knows everything. Now, I don't understand how God knows everything, but I know God knows everything. It's an attribute of God. 
God, everything there is to know about you and me and everyone that's ever lived and everyone that ever will live, everything there is to know about everything that exists, God knows it all at the same time. Now, this is not only a theological reality, it's a personal reality. It's a personal knowledge and it's a precise knowledge. You know, as David is writing this, again in verse 1, he says, Thou hast searched me and known, thou hast searched me. See, that's personal. God has searched me and known me. In verse 2, thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down. And art acquainted with all my ways. It's very personal. God didn't just know everything about everybody else. God knows everything there is to know about me. And I'll get back to this later. But he knows everything. He knows a whole lot about me that I don't even know about me. Because God knows everything. He knows when we sit down. He knows when we stand up. The Bible is very clear about this. He knows where we are. How we got there, where we left, what time we left, where we're going when we leave. God knows everything. That just blows my mind, really, to think about that. He's aware of the most minute details of our life. Sometimes we think, well, that's too minuscule, too little. No, God knows everything. Everything there is to know. Our common, He knows our thoughts. He knows what you just thought when I said He knows our thoughts. So thought went through your mind. He knows that thought. He knows every thought. He knows our words. Verse 4 says, There's not a word in my tongue, not one, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Everything we say. Now, having said all that, then David says in verse 6, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's overwhelming. It surpasses my ability to understand. Now, I can't really pause here like I'd like to. But it's just worth meditating on. It'd be a good place for a Selah. Think about this. You know, sometimes I worry and fret about things that I don't know, but God already knows about them. You know, it surpasses our ability really to comprehend. He knows when we're hurting. He knows when we're being tempted. He knows when we're dishonest. He knows when we think impure thoughts. He knows when we're lonely. He knows when we're afraid. God knows all of these things. Wherever we are, God knows where we are and He's with us. Verse 7, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. You know, we may feel like we're alone, but we're never alone. You know, Jonah tried to run from God, and he ended up being thrown into the ocean, and he ended up being swallowed by a whale. But you know who was there? God was there. You can't get away from God. God's everywhere. Verse 11 says, If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me. If I were to try to play hide and seek, I'm going to hide in the dark. Surely the darkness 
shall cover me, even the night shall be light unto thee about me. There's no darkness and light with God. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. You know, I just heard our pastor, Pastor Weiss, by the way, he said to send his greetings. I said it in Sunday school, but I'm going to say it again. Pastor Weiss sends his greetings to you. He said just the other day, something about it was a gloomy day. How It's a gloomy day. You can kind of feel yourself sort of down. It's dark. It's gloomy, whatever. But you know what? It's all the same with God. Darkness may encompass our days, but it can't shut him out. I was... I always think about this when I'm reading this passage. I was sitting uh, in a pastor's house many, many years ago. And uh, I'd never met the pastor. He was an older man. Now, he's probably about my age, but then, then he was an older man. <laughs> and I was sitting there just getting to know him and talking with him. There was something about me he did not know. I'd been going through a very dark time in my life. I was reading my Bible every day, preaching serving, doing what I thought was God's will, but it just seemed like God was, wasn't there like you said. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying he wasn't there. He's always there. But for me, it just seemed like a dark time. Maybe you've had those times in your life. I was sitting there on his couch, and I looked up on the wall right over here. I'm sitting on the sofa. I looked up on the wall, and there's a little bitty plaque on his wall, kind of a crude, simple plaque, but I'll never forget the words. The only thing I remember about that visit is this. The words on that plaque were, the darkness and the light are both alike to thee. And I'm sitting there going through a dark place and God just let me sit in his living room to remind me that it may seem dark to you, but it's not, it's not dark to God. The darkness and the light are the same to thee. Verse 13, David continues, for thou hast possessed my reins. Your reins is... Not what you see. Your range is the most innermost part of you. Parts of you we can't even get to. I've, God, thou hast possessed my reins. Imagine that. God has pos- is the possessor of the most inward part of your life. For I am, or excuse me, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. Even when I was in my mother's womb, God was there. I will pray, look, look in verse 14, I will praise thee. It's like David just erupts with praise. I just, I will praise thee. You, God's been involved in my life even before I was born. He says, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made marvelous of thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lower part, lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. Before my body parts even began to take shape, God, you were right there with me. As a matter of fact, the members of my body were written in a book. And God was overseeing me coming into existence in the womb of my mother. And you, a person might hear this and say, you, you can't really believe that. With every fiber of my being, I believe it. It's the omniscience of God. The omnipresence of God. God is everywhere. And his eyes were upon us even before we were formed. When our body parts hadn't even come together yet. Verse 17. I love this. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, 
oh God. Now, now this is present tense. He's talking about when I was there, you were there. In my past, you were there. But this is present tense here. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they're more in number than the sand. When I wake, I'm still with you. God's thoughts about us are precious. This, this blows my mind. That God would think about me. While God knows everything that's going on in all the world, no matter where the, whatever dark place you could go, recessed places in jungles, out deep in the sea, wherever, and as far in the uh, galaxies if you could go, God knows everything. He's there all the time, and He's thinking about me. Isn't that an amazing thing? Why would God care about me? Why would God even give us the, the, the time of day? He says in verse 18, if I should count them, God's thoughts, they're more in number than the sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. His thoughts are precious for us. They're positive and they're innumerable. You're on God's mind today. You ought to think about that. Now, there's a transition in verse 19. Where David writes, surely thou wilt slay the wicked. It's like us and them. Depart from me, therefore, you bloody men, for they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? And am I am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that because the psalm doesn't spend a lot of time on that. But God's thoughts about the wicked are not exactly the same as God's thoughts about his children. He loves, he loves everybody. He cares about everybody. But there's a clear distinction here. God knows everything there is to know about everyone, everywhere at the same time. His thoughts for his children, those are a part of his family, are innumerable and they're precious. His thoughts regarding the wicked is one day they're going to be judged. Now this, this whole, this is my introduction by the way. I have a long introduction, short sermon, long introduction. Not too short a sermon, but anyway. It's all about the omniscience of God. And you may think, well, preacher, do we even need to be reminded of that? I think we always need to be reminded of God's truth. I need to be reminded about it sometimes. When I feel like I'm by myself, when I feel like I'm alone, when I feel like nobody knows or cares, it's good to remember that those thoughts may be real to me, but they're not really accurate. Because God knows and God loves and God cares, and He's with us, right? So that's the theological reality, that it's an attribute of God. It's not even up for discussion, and don't try to figure it out or understand it, it's just the truth. God knows. But how does that affect my life? And that's what I want to spend the next little while on. What does that mean to me? How should this influence my life? And I want to make two applications. The first of all, I want to talk about the unsaved person. The person who's not been born again. You may be sitting here today and you're not sure you're going to heaven. You're not sure you've ever been saved. What does this mean to you, this matter that God knows everything? I'll tell you, it really is a sobering thought. I never thought about it when I was lost. I can remember as a lost man how I would hide things from mama. I would go places she didn't want me to go with people she didn't want me 
to be with and do things she surely didn't want me to do. But as long as I could keep mama from knowing. But I never thought about this. God knew every bit of it. God sees everything. I was reading this morning over in the Gospel of John chapter 1 where Jesus called Philip to follow him. And Philip went to Nathanael and said, I found the Messiah. I found the Messiah. And Nathanael said, could any good thing come out of Nazareth? And he, Philip said, come and see. And he took him to see Jesus. And when Jesus was standing before Philip, Jesus said this, when you were under the fig tree, I saw thee. In other words, I was watching you. You were not, you weren't following me, but I was following you. God sees everything. Everything there is to see, God knows. He knows everything about us. Every, think about this. If I was sitting here today as an unsaved person, and I'd be, might be thinking this. I know I probably need help in my life. You know, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not really sure I'm going the right direction. But I want you to think about something today. God, God knows everything there is to know about you. Every, every bad thought, every impure thought, every word that you've ever said that was, was wrong, every wicked deed. Now, how does that affect anything? Well, stay with me. We're not going to turn to it, but in Revelation chapter 20, it talks about something in the future. After the great tribulation, when God is going to summons every unsaved person to a place called the great white throne. And it's going to be a time of judgment. But that judgment will not be about whether you get to go to heaven or hell. That judgment will only be for the unsaved. And this is what is going to happen according to the Bible. Those people that are there will be judged out of those things which are written in the books according to their works. So things that we think nobody knew about or cared. One of these days the books are going to be open. And for every lost person they're going to be judged according to things that are written in the books. And what do those books contain? contain? And why would have that judgment? Well... The why is, the, judge, the purpose of that judgment is to, degree, to determine the degrees of punishment for the unsaved. Those who reject the gospel. Those who've never put their faith in Christ. And, it, and it's gonna, their books are going to be opened. And I think about my own life before I got saved. If I'd have been standing there one of these days in the future... At the great white throne of the books would be opened and every wicked thing I've ever done, every ungodly thought that I've ever had, every time I told a lie, every time I deceived someone, every time I was malicious and hurt someone, every wicked deed would be written in the books. What a horrible thing to think about. And you might think that I'm making this up, this is make-believe, but I'm just telling you what's in the book. It's in the Bible. And the Bible goes on to say, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Every single person without exception that's at the great white throne is going to go into the lake of fire. Not temporarily, but forever. Now I want to say something about this. You might have this question. If not, I'll ask the question for you. Who will not be at that judgment? I'm going to tell you who will not be at that judgment. Every person who by faith has received Jesus Christ as their Savior, 
every person who by faith has turned from their sin and repented and put their faith in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation, not in the baptistry, not in their good works, not in their church, but in Jesus alone. Every person that's ever lived that put their faith in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross for their salvation will not be present at the great white throne judgment. This is the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that those, those of us who've trusted Christ, those of us who've never been saved or those of us who've trusted Christ, we understand that it's only through Jesus Christ that a person can be saved. It's important that we understand that. It's not Jesus plus anything. It's only Jesus. It's everything is Jesus. When he hung on the cross, put your mind on this. When he hung on the cross, every sin that you've ever committed and every sin that I've ever committed, every one of those sins were placed upon Jesus Christ. And he took up our sins upon his own body on the tree. And he suffered in our place and was buried and three days later raised from the dead. And, is, and salvation is in him and him alone. And today, right where you sit, if you'd received Christ as your Savior, put your faith in him, your sins, all your sins, will be forgiven by the grace of God. You know, we can hide a lot of things from a lot of people, but you can't hide anything from God. Now, if you're here today and you're not saved, I don't have any other way to say it but just to say, you need Jesus Christ in your life. Salvation is a free gift. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. I have one regret about getting saved. I wish I got saved a lot earlier. I'm telling you, if you're here today and you're not saved, today could be the greatest day of your life. If you'd put your faith and trust in Christ. And you could do that. And you could do that right now where you sit. You could do that in a moment. It'll come to the conclusion of the service and it'll be a time of commitment and reflection and thinking about the message. And you're sitting here thinking, that's what I need. I need salvation. I need Jesus. I need to know my sins are forgiven. At that moment, you get to slip out in your chair and come down here and talk to somebody. Somebody take a Bible. They're not going to pressure you, twist your arm, but they can explain to you how you can know you're going to heaven. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? So this theological reality about God knowing everything has great implications for those who are not saved. But it also has great implications for those of us who are saved. You know why? Because we're comforted in knowing that he's with us. That he sees us. He knows us. Personally, intimately, thoroughly. But along with that, now please stay with me, along with that, there's another thing that often I think gets overlooked in this subject or discussion, and that's this. I go, let's go back to our text. Look in Psalm 139. Look in verse 1. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. You know, this was a request, a request from David to God to search him. Now, was this request 
God searched me so that God would find out something about me he did not know? No, that's not what it was about. God knows everything. When he says, search me, it was not so that God would discover something that God didn't know. It was so God would show David things about himself that God already knew, but David didn't know. Search me. It was a request from David. Search me. And, you know, God, God knows me, as I said earlier, God knows me far better than I know myself. I may do something, but God knows why I did it. I may even do something good, but God may know that I had ulterior motives. God would know if I did it with pride in my heart. So the purpose of the search is not for God to discover something about me. The purpose of the search is for God to help me see, show me things that you see about me. He already knows everything. My thoughts, my words, my actions, my everything. Show me what you know about me. Search me, O God, in verse 23, know my heart, try me, know my thing, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Can I say to you today, as children of God, if you're saved, we should want God to show us everything about us that we need to know about us. Imagine saying this to God. God, if there's anything in my heart that's not right with you, if there's anything in my thought life that displeases you, If there's anything in my language that is not acceptable with you, Lord, would you show me? Would you let me see that? You know, all of us can, if you've been saved any length of a time, you can, you can testify that this has happened to you. Something, somehow along the line, you saw something in your life. It wasn't right. I can remember, especially right after I got saved, man, everything right and left. Don't do that. Don't say that. Don't go there. You know what I'm saying? God, you know what? When you get saved, the spirit of God comes to live within you and he come to reprove the world of sin and righteousness, judgment to come. He sheds light on things like that. But at the same time, it would be very foolish for me to think standing before you today that there could not be things in my life that I think's okay. But God does not approve of them. It would be foolish. And people think like that a lot. You say, why? You know, because I'm a people. You know, that's why they're called blind spots. You know why they're called blind spots? Because we can't see them. God sees them. And you could sit there today and say, well, that's not me. I'm, I'm completely convinced that everything in my life, every thought that I think, every word that I say, everything about me is totally and completely acceptable with God. But I want to remind you, and I'm not trying to be hard on people. I don't have to try it. Just come natural. But you, you may be thinking that, but I remind you, the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things. And desperately wicked. Who can know it? You know who knows it? God knows it. God knows it. The only way I can see what God sees in my heart is for God to show me that. I'll give you an example. Simon Peter. Simon Peter was let in on something that he did not know. Jesus said, Satan hath desired that he may sift you as wheat. And you know the rest of the story, but I prayed for you that your faith fail not. And what did Peter say? God, thank you for showing me that. 
I couldn't see that. I never would have thought that. Thank you. No, that's not what he said. He said, that will never happen with me. I'll never fail you. I'll go to prison. I'll die for you. You know why? Because God knew something about Peter that Peter didn't know about himself. And if Peter would have been smart, he would have taken what God said instead of going out there and doing something foolish and going, coming back and weeping bitterly because of what happened. He should have said, Lord, thank you for showing me that, that I can see that about myself. You know, one of the most admirable people in the Bible was Job. We know how righteous Job was. The Bible says this is not our thoughts or opinions. This is what God said. There's no man, no man more righteous than Job. No man that fears God and hates evil more than Job does. And uh, so, I mean, let's, say, let's just agree that Job was a very righteous man. But in chapter 6 of that, Job said this. I'm going to quote it. Job says, cause me to understand wherein I have erred. If there's anything I need to see, show me. Show me where I'm wrong. And, and then you fast forward to the end of Job, and Job said this. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee, and I abhor myself. And repent in sackcloth and ashes. God, you let me see some things about myself that I did not know or I could not have seen. All these things bear witness to the fact that we need for God to search our heart. We need for God to speak to us and show us through his word what we need to see about ourselves. Because we can be, we can be clueless. We can be blind to that. You know, Matthew, one of the most quoted verses, used to, used to be everybody quoted John 3, 16. Now they quote Matthew 7, 1, judge not lest you be judged. <laughs> but what, is, what was the message that Jesus gave there? How, why is it that you can look way back here on the back row and you can see these little problems in people's lives and yet you got a two by four in your eye and you can't see it at all? He called it a beam and a moat. But you know what? Most people don't know they're walking around with a beam in their eye. You know why? Because they're blind to it. And that's why Jesus said, first, remove that beam out of your own eye. Then thou may see clearly to help you do a, a speck extraction from your neighbor's eye. Jesus said, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, when you bring your gift to the altar, and there thou rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave your gift at the altar. First, go be reconciled to your brother. Then come and bring your offering. Now see, the person already had something wrong in their life. They just couldn't see it. But Jesus said, when you bring your gift, and there thou rememberest, it comes to your mind, Go take care of it. The point, the point to me, and all these are the same. We can have things wrong in our life, but we're not really seeing them. Maybe because we don't want to see them. Maybe because we're not willing to see them. And all I would say today is I think it would be good medicine for all of us to say, Search me, O God. Search me. And know my heart. Try me. Search my heart. The most innermost part of me. Search me and know my heart. And try me and see if there be any wicked way in me. We need to see ourselves as God sees us. 
I'd like to think that we never have a problem with this. But I can't say honestly that I think that's true. I'm going to close with this. Remember when Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples and he said, one of you going to betray me? And everybody said, I bet it's Judas. That's not what they said. This is what they said. Lord, is it I? Now these disciples have made a lot of mistakes. But I give them credit for this. Every one of them was willing to say, could it be me? Is it in me that I would betray? Is it in me? And I'm just saying today, we ought to be willing to say, Lord, is it I? Is there some- what if there was something in my life? What if there was something in the way you or I treat our wife or our husband or our kids? What if there's something that we have done that we weren't willing to make it? What if there was something that we're not willing to own up to or acknowledge or maybe even unable to see how serious it is, but it's grieving the Spirit of God or it's hurting God working or it's a hindrance to the work of God? Wouldn't that be something? I could go on and on about this. Remember Achan? Achan who sinned, hid it in his tent. Hid it in his tent. Nobody will know it's hidden in the tent. Israel went out and were defeated at a little place called Ai. And you know what God said? They're sin. You've got, you got to get this right. If, you're going to get, if you expect to have victory, you need to get this right. Search me, oh God. I've, you could sit in church and say, boy, I'm thinking about somebody over there, over there. I wish they would really take this serious. No, let's don't do that. Let's just say, search me, oh God. Search me. God knows everything. Everything there is to know about everything. Whether you're saved or unsaved, God knows. The good news is, the God who knows is willing to forgive us for everything that we've done. But he that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh shall find mercy. Today would be a good day to say, Lord, if you're, not sa- if you're not saved today, if you don't know you're saved today, it would be a good day to say, Lord, I'm gonna, I need to be forgiven. I want to be saved. You ought to come today and let somebody talk with you and pray with you and help you. And if you're saved today, could I challenge you to sincerely pray this prayer? Search me, oh God. Search me and try my heart. I want to see if there's something in me that I have not seen. Or maybe I have not seen it the way I should see it. Today would be a good day to do that. If you're able to stand, could we stand together for prayer? Everyone's standing and our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. In just a moment, in just a moment, the piano will be playing. But today, let's, not, let's don't check out. Let's don't start thinking about dinner or getting out of here. Let's think about this. Lord, what do you want me to take away from this Bible passage today? Search me, O oh God. Father, as we pray today, we ask you to search us. God, there is in all of us, there is in me, you know. 
the tendency not to be transparent, the tendency to cover up, the tendency to overlook things. Would you search us today? Oh God, help us to see about ourselves what you see. And I pray today, if there are those here today who are unsaved, work in hearts, Lord. Draw people to yourself. While heads are bowed today and while folks are praying, maybe you need to come. Come to this altar, maybe, and pray. Or right there at your seat, or maybe you need to talk to someone. Maybe you need to be saved. As we have the time of invitation, would you let God have His way in your heart today? fearing Christian, you love the Lord, should probably be praying for those that are at the altar right now and for those that may be under conviction in the church house. The pastor today preached about salvation and I I believe there may be people here today who've never been saved, you've never been born again. This is an invitation for you to come. If you know you're lost, that means one step has been accomplished can't get saved until you know you're lost. You lost today. If you are, Jesus invites you to come. We want you to be saved. And there's people praying for you. And for those of you who are Christians, it's a good thing to open your heart and let God search your heart.
He'll show you things that need to change. As Brother John sings this next verse, you respond to the Lord and we'll prepare for baptism now as well. Won't you come on this verse? to come forward because you've never been scripturally baptized this is your verse maybe somebody else here today that still needs to be obedient to the Lord in some other area we're inviting you to take this verse take this verse and respond to the Lord if no one else comes we're going to close so you make sure you respond on this verse as brother John sings oh, oh, oh. 